yeah so this this episode is for anyone who is tired of feeling out of control around food is tired of feeling guilty for having a piece of cake who wants to be able to just live a life where food is part of it food is enjoyable and it makes them feel good both physically and emotionally but it's not the central focus of their life. It doesn't control them and it doesn't get in the way of how they feel emotionally of their relationships and their joy in life. All right. Welcome everyone to a new episode of the NeuroFlex podcast. I am your host, Toby Passman. If you guys have enjoyed listening to the podcast, I'd really appreciate it if you go ahead and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts so more people can find out about the podcast and know that you really enjoyed it. So I really appreciate that. And on today's episode, we have a very special guest, Sabrina Magna. Sabrina is a health coach who specializes in helping people with disordered food mindset and behaviors, which is the majority of Western cultures, such as intense feelings of guilt when eating, binging, obsessive thoughts about food, emotional eating, and an inability to pay attention to cues of hunger and fullness. Sabrina combines intuitive eating and cognitive behavioral therapy methods to teach people to reconnect to their innate ability to nourish their bodies without external forces. An example, calorie counting, food rules, and eliminate all or nothing thinking and self-sabotage, develop strategies to prevent binges, reintroduce fear foods, and rewire their neural networks to create habits from a place of self-care and sustainability. So Sabrina, super excited to have you on the show today. Super excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So I just kind of am curious, your journey and into this, you know, space of kind of, as we were sort of talking about a little before mindful eating, or um, however, you sort of define the the work you do in in terms of our kind of focusing on our kind of relationship uh, with food, what what was it uh, that originally kind of got you really interested in in that field? Yeah, so um, as most people who start doing this work to help others, I struggled with my own relationship with food for many, many years. Um, I started restricting and dieting when I was 16 years old. Um, I had been a elite swimmer for years and years. And then when I got out of the sport, for most of the women I work with and for myself as well, it starts with this desire to change the way that our bodies look, to lose weight, to tone up, whatever it is. Um, so I started on this journey of restricting carbs and sugar and counting my calories and over-exercising. And I would be able to maintain that for all day or all week. And then when nighttime came around or when the weekends came around or the holidays, it was really all or nothing for me. Either I was eating really, really well, eating super healthy, counting my calories, or I was eating everything inside all of these foods that I had been restricting. And over the years, the more you do that, the more you develop this, almost this fear of food, because you feel like you can't control yourself around these foods. Um, you feel like you can't eat normally unless you're counting your calories or being super strict with your rules. 
And this really affected my life. It affected my social life. And eventually after years and years of doing this, I realized this is not what health is about. I thought I was doing this all in the name of health and I wasn't healthy. I was chronically tired. I was chronically feeling all of these cravings and exhausted and my hair was falling out. And I realized there has to be a better way. Like this is, this is not how I want to live the rest of my life, obsessed with food, obsessed with shrinking my body. So fast forward years of trial and error and, you know, doing some research and experimenting with myself. I've gone to a place where I had a very, very healthy relationship with food. I no longer needed to count calories or restrict anything. I actually now I just know how to listen to my body. I know how to eat when I'm hungry. I stop when I'm full. I eat all of the foods that I love and I feel better both physically and emotionally than I have ever when I was struggling with these restrictive patterns. So I was like, I need to create something. I need to help women who are going through this, who feel alone, who feel like there's something wrong with them, like they're failing. I need to help them go through that exact same process of healing the relationship with food so that they can start living again and start enjoying life and enjoying food without all of the fear and the anxiety that comes along with it. And, and how do you balance that sort of like, obviously certain, certain foods being, you know, maybe universally bad for us, such as like sugar uh, or, you know, certain like people having sensitivities to certain foods and, and that definitely like affecting the way people feel. And and maybe that's why, uh, you know, people get so like focused and, and tied into whatever like diet program that they're on, but like, how do you manage, you know, just kind of like the biological effects of the food we're eating, but then also just with like the psychological ramifications of that, like that could lead to that, like sort of hyper obsession about every single calorie and every single, you know, if we one piece of cake or, you know, one cookie or something, and then suddenly we're, we're beating ourselves up. Like how, how do you, how do you sort of, uh, balance, balance that those? Out? Yeah. 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 That's an amazing question. So one thing that research shows is that when we are hyper aware of those foods, let's say sugar, when we make an effort, when we fear those foods because of all the fear mongering we hear about sugar is toxic and sugar is as as addictive as cocaine which is actually not truth what we find is that it's the mental and the physical restriction that causes you to crave those foods more and what we find is that when we put such an emphasis on oh my god sugar is bad we'll use sugar because that's a big one where i hear a lot of women thinking they're addicted to sugar When we put sugar, let's say sweets on a pedestal, we create that forbidden fruit effect. I can't have it. I can't have it. Kind of like that red button, like I can't press it. And the more you do that, the more you put those foods on a pedestal, the more likely you are to overeat those foods. And we have found that it's not the actual sugar or the sweet foods that are bad for your health. It's the overconsumption of it, which happens when you overeat, when you binge, when you don't pay attention to the signals that your body is sending you. And one of the biggest cause of overeating and binging is this kind of mental restriction. I I shouldn't have this food. 
And then what happens is let's say someone who's so afraid of eating cake or cookies, they think sugar is toxic. There's a lot of sugar in that. Well, then those cravings are going to build up. They're going to think about that cookie. They're going to think about, I I really shouldn't have it. I'm going to have a replacement, like a low sugar pudding or whatever, which is not exactly what they wanted. And then eventually they're going to cave because willpower is a temporary resource. When it comes to food, you're eventually going to run out of that willpower. Something's going to get in the way. You're going to have a birthday party. You're going to have a stressful day and you're going to cave into whatever you were craving. And then what your brain does, because you had created this rule of, I shouldn't have this, your brain does, well, you've already broken your rule. So instead of having the one cookie, and then just moving on and, and, you know, going on with your day, I'm going to have the cookie and I'm going to have six more. I'm going to have the cake and all of these things that I've been restricting. I'm going to have them all in a really short period of time. And I'm going to start again tomorrow. And it's that temporary binge or overeating. And then of course, you're going to feel like crap after because you've just overconsumed all of these foods. Whereas if you had allowed yourself to have that one cookie when you eventually, when you initially wanted it, you would have had that cookie without the guilt and the shame that came along with it and then moved on. And no one ever died from having one cookie a day. You're, you're not a big fan of uh, cheat days, I take it. No, no. <laughs> it, cheat days are basically planned binges. <laughs> right. Well, it, it, the, it kind of almost makes me think of like, you know, drinking alcohol. Like say, if you're going to have seven drinks in a week, there's like a huge difference if you have a glass of wine with dinner each night, you know, mm-hmm. it's probably not going to have that deleterious health effects. Whereas if you have seven drinks within an hour, one night, you know, and get blackout drunk, then, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're going to feel terrible for, for the next day. And, you know, uh, probably is going to lead to some, some worse health effects. So it, it definitely <laughs> makes sense what you're saying. Absolutely. And I used to be that girl who I would have cheat days on the weekends, all of the foods that I had been craving, I would, kind of cram them into two days. And then of course you feel like crap when you have so much of all of these foods that are, yes, they're higher in sugar, higher in carbs, but it's when you have them all concentrated within 24 or 48 hours that your body is going to break down and it's not going to love that. Ever since I've healed my relationship with food, I'll have a dessert or whatever I'm craving any day of the week. And when I have the one piece of pie or the cookie, I don't walk away feeling exhausted and bloated because my body tells me at a certain point, all right, that was good. We've had enough. If you have more, then you'll feel like crap. And it's by learning how to listen to your body, which you cannot do when you have so many of these voices telling you, you shouldn't be eating this and all of that guilt it clouds you from your ability to actually pay attention to the signals your body is sending you about how those different foods make you feel. Okay. And, you know, I guess now what I would, I would love to hear is just kind of your, like, could you walk me through if I was to, you know, book, uh, you know, book a session with you and and start working with you, um, you know, as you know, with you being a health coach, Mm-hmm. What, what might that look like? Like, what are, can you take me through the process and like the steps of sort of developing the mentality that we've been talking about? 
Mm-hmm, definitely. So I have 12 steps in my program um, and I'll try to really summarize it as much as possible. The first step we want to address your mindset, um, because when it comes to I work with chronic dieters and dieting, what they what in, in, in the concept is you're either doing it right or you're doing it wrong. Right. You're either on the wagon or off the wagon. And when it comes to healing your relationship with food, It's always a continuous process. It's always a journey of learning about your, your own food beliefs, your food behaviors that you learned, you know, as early as 12, 13 years old. So it's about changing your mindset from you're either doing it or you're not doing it because when you have that kind of all or nothing mentality, which is a fixed mindset instead of a growth mindset, then you're so it's the way that you handle your setbacks or your challenges that are going to determine how successful you are in actually moving forward. Because if you have a binge, when it comes to healing your relationship with food, you're still going to, you're still going to have those moments where you're going to have a challenge in the beginning. You're going to binge, you're going to emotionally eat. Um, and if you look at that as a personal failure and you see that as I'm never going to be able to solve this. It's so much easier to throw in the towel and give up on yourself. And so the first thing we have to do is we have to really strengthen our mindset and learn how to overcome those setbacks, those obstacles, and how to keep moving forward. Um, Then the next thing we have to do is we have to reject the diet mentality. Because as long as you believe that there's going to be that one diet around the corner, that's finally going to work for you, that you are, that you're eventually going to hit that goal weight, which might not even be physically feasible for you, it's going to be really, really hard to finally just be at peace with, you know what? I don't need to restrict these foods. I don't need to constantly focus on shrinking my body. So I take them through five steps of how to reject your, uh, reject that diet mentality. And then the next thing you have to do is you have to make peace with food. You need to stop being so afraid. Like I was talking about before, you need to stop putting all of these foods on a pedestal because when you assign morality, these foods are good and these foods are bad inherently when you binge on when you eat those bad foods you're going to be more likely to overeat them because you're thinking you broke a rule you're thinking you've done something bad you've cheated and so might as well eat all of the bad foods and then again start again tomorrow and as long as you have that kind of mentality you're always going to be on that roller coaster of doing really, really good. And then eating all the foods, you're never going to be able to have that balance and that consistency. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's only three steps. There's, there's nine others, but those are like the first three that I would take you through. Got it. Okay. You know, it, it just like having this conversation makes me just sort of think about just like something that I, I remember reading uh, a while back just about how, you know, the, how we think about food, like in the sense of like, if we, you know, believe that a certain food is healthy for us, it's actually going to have different biological effects rather than if we think a food that we're eating um, is super unhealthy for us rather Mm -hmm. than it, like, rather than it being just like the pure, biological effects of the food it's like it almost speaks to like i think the power of the mind in terms of like kind of the what we see with like the placebo effect and you know if you think something is 
you know, it, it sort of almost becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. So it almost kind of sounds like that, that same thing can, can happen with food. Absolutely. It's the, that's why when I, when I talk to my clients, I tell them your, your mindset, your mind, the way your brain works is going to be 85 to 90% of what we're going to focus on because people don't actually need to know more about nutrition. Like there is so much information out there. If all it took was a meal plan or knowing about calories or knowing about what's in our food, no one would have food and weight issues. So it's not the problem about knowing more. And that's one huge mistake I see when I talk to women and I ask them, you know, they tell me about what they've been struggling with. And I ask them what they've tried. It's always been counting my calories or, you know, doing keto or focusing on what we're eating. What should I eat? What shouldn't I eat? But that's not what it's about. That just causes you analysis paralysis where you're overwhelmed and you're confused and you've got 20 different health gurus telling you 20 different things and you don't know where to turn. And no one actually looks inwards at what is my relationship with food? How do I view food? Why do I do the things that I do? Why do I binge? Why do I overeat? Why do I emotionally eat? And people, a scapegoat is, I just have no willpower. This, that's the biggest myth is like eating healthy is about willpower when it's willpower actually has nothing to do with it. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That definitely is kind of a paradigm shift, I guess, for a lot of, a lot of people. Mm -hmm. One, one thing that, you know, I wanted to ask you about, uh, you know, in terms of like something that I've heard being like a, a sort of road roadblock. Uh, for a lot of people like struggling with, you know, dieting or, or their weight um, or their relationship with food, I guess I should say is like, like sort of like the emotional eating of like, you know, comfort foods mm -hmm. and like maybe foods that, you know, that people like binge on in order to like, you know, sort of fill some void, whether that be, you know, the depression they're feeling or anxiety. Mm -hmm. um, can you talk to me a little about just uh, I guess the problems that, that arise from that sort of like comfort eating or, or maybe is comfort eating as bad as it's been made out to be? What, what's your perspective on that? Yeah. So I really think that emotionally eating has been vilified by diet culture as like the worst thing in the world. And what I help my clients with is I help take away so much of the emotionally charged negative tone around emotional eating, because when women see themselves as emotional eaters, like what people will do is they'll start making it part of their identity. Like I am an emotional eater. And when it's part of your identity, it is so much harder to break because you see this as this huge negative thing, the same way that when people say I'm not a morning person, chances are you'll never become a morning person because you don't see yourself as that. If you keep seeing yourself as an emotional eater, then every time you do turn to food for emotion, for emotional reasons, you're going to see that as well. Here I go again, right? Like turning to food when I'm stressed or emotional. So what I help my clients with is I help them see emotional eating as one coping mechanism. It becomes problematic when it is your only coping mechanism. And that's what happens a lot is it becomes 
people's only coping mechanism. So what I help people do, I have a six step process for managing, I I call it navigating emotional eating, because it's not necessarily getting rid of it. It's going to happen. We're all humans. And especially now, like food is emotional food is I love, I'm a huge foodie. So like, I love celebrating with food. I love, you know, being around and sharing food. And so it's about first identifying when you're turning to food right now, it's going to be an, it's an automatic behavior. Your brain has learned to associate food with better feelings, even though those feelings are temporary. So the first thing it's about interrupting that pattern of going from A to B and just asking yourself, what am I really needing right now? People don't actually ask themselves that question. They just turn to food because like I said, it's an automatic behavior. So what am I really needing right now? Is it that I feel lonely? Is it that I'm bored? Is it that I want connection? Is it that I'm stressed out? I'm anxious, whatever it is. When you first can identify what you're really needing, then you can ask yourself the question, is food going to satisfy that need? And most of the time, the answer is no. Maybe temporarily, it's going to numb you. It's going to allow you to be distracted. But then those emotions are going to come back when the food coma kind of goes away. And those emotions are actually going to be amplified in the negative way. Because now you feel so bad about having eaten so much that you feel even worse. Now you've got the guilt from eating and you've got those emotions that you had in the first place. So it's about identifying what you're really needing. And then what I do with my clients is I I call it a nourishment menu. When you're feeling lonely, when you're feeling disconnected, when you're feeling stressed, when you're feeling bored, what are some activities that might actually fill those needs? And let's start doing some trial and error and seeing if you can start moving away from turning to food every single time and then try those activities and see how that goes. Does that make sense? It does. I'd, I'd love to hear like, what are some of the common like activities that actually are, you know, healthy mm-hmm. coping strategies that, you know, you see your clients employing? Yeah. So I can use an example for myself. So I used to emotionally eat pretty much every night, like Q 8 PM, 8 30 PM. It was my snack. And when I started doing this work, what I realized is that most of the time when that happened, what I was actually needing was comfort. I was needing, I wanted warmth because I'm someone who's a very cold person. And what I noticed that is that I would associate eating with warming my body temperature up, like warming, comfort, um, connection. And so a few things that have really, really helped me is um, I started, I bought a heat blanket, which I always have around me. So um, wrapping myself up in a heat blanket, taking a warm bath, a lot of the times calling a friend, like when I'm looking for connection, when I'm lonely, calling a friend, going for a walk, doing something that really brings me joy. Because that's another thing is a lot of the clients I see are lacking joy in their life. And so they're putting all of their joy eggs in this food basket, right? So I'm going to get all of my joy from food. And so when you're getting all of your joy from food, of course, it's hard to disconnect and and not get that joy anymore. So it's finding ways. What are some things that really bring you joy, whether that's reading a really good book or watching an amazing documentary or 
having some time with your kids or your husband, finding those different things that are actually going to fulfill those needs that you're looking for in a more positive and, and healthy way. I hope that helps. It, it definitely does. Yeah. And I, I can relate to the, I, I would be, I'd be using a heated blanket too, if it weren't for being in, in Florida right now, back when I was in, in Oregon last year, I had that thing wrapped around me in the winter yeah. all the time. So yeah. 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 I love those. Um, so yeah, when it, when it comes to, you know, sort of like when, when someone is in like, a sort of a, a state in which they do feel as though they want to use food as, you know, a coping strategy, like what, what can someone, what, what's sort of like the psychological process that people need to take in order to identify that, like, there is, you know, some need that they're trying to fill and then how can they go about figuring out what it is that they really need to, to get to the kind of like the root of whatever that, um, whatever that, you know, psychological need kind of is. Yeah. It's tough because a lot of the times it's really hard to be introspective. It's hard to know what you really want. And that's why I have, I have coaching calls with my clients every week, because a lot of the times when they're facing those kind of challenges, it's the questions that I ask them, gearing them towards finding that answer for themselves. But I, I have them ask them themselves a couple of questions. Okay, right now I'm, I'm wanting to turn to food. What is the emotion that I'm feeling that's causing me to want to turn to food? So I have kind of a, a list of emotions and a lot, there's going to be, it's going to be the, the same ones. Usually it's going to either be boredom, disconnection, um, comfort, stress relief. So it's identifying what's the core emotion that I'm trying to fill. Then when we have created that kind of nourishment menu, okay, when I'm feeling lonely, calling a friend, I can try to call a friend, right? So then I always say, don't put emotional, emotionally eating or turning to food off the table. Let's just give yourself a little break where you try one of those items. So let's say I try to call a friend, see how I feel afterwards afterwards and and what's also important to differentiate is is this an emotional hunger or is this a physical hunger am i truly physically hungry if you're physically hungry eat like that's just go and and eat your food but if you're not physically hungry and it really is just from an emotional place let's let's say you do try to call your friend and then afterwards you realize i still want to turn to food then go ahead and turn to food and do it mindfully. So be present with your food, pay attention. How does it taste? How does my body feel? Am I still hungry? Am I distracted? Am I numb? And then I also have some exercises on how can you eat more mindfully? How can you be more present with your food? But it's when you kind of zone out and when you tune yourself out and when you try to numb, that's when you're more likely to overeat. And that, yeah, I'd love to, I'm so glad you you brought that up because I'd love to segue the conversation to that, you know, in terms of like, it seems like the majority of people, um, or at least a lot of people, um, like in the United States, it's like, where, you know, when are you, when are people like consuming the most food? It's like, you know, watching TV, they're, they're doing something that is like, not a, like the opposite of being mindful. They're like doing some mm -hmm. activity where they're kind of like tuning out from the external world and probably not paying much attention to, you know, what they're putting in their mouth. And then it's like, suddenly, 
you know, they've eaten an entire bag of chips or the mm -hmm. whole cake or whatever it is. Um, you know, what, so tell me about kind of what mindful eating is and just how someone can learn to do that. Yeah. So mindful eating is just bringing attention to how food makes you feel both, both emotionally and physically. And so the first thing that you want to focus on is understanding what your hunger cues are. A lot of people eat when they're not even hungry. And so being able to tune into how hungry am I right now? So I use a hunger scale that goes from one to 10. And so what you normally, you will normally want to start eating when you're at about a three, a, a, a two or a three, when you're starting to get your stomach growling, it's not uncomfortable, but it's noticeable. Most people will either eat at a one or a two when they are absolutely starving or they'll just not pay attention and kind of eat throughout the day without actually paying attention to, am I hungry or not? So first thing is understanding your own hunger cues. Then what you really want to do, and at the beginning of this process, you have to have this kind of hyper consciousness of your eating. It's not always going to be that way, but in order to reconnect to being mindful with your food, you kind of have to bring a hyper consciousness the way that when you're learning to drive a car, you're like really paying attention. Okay. Am I doing all the things? And I'm, am I doing all like checking all of my signals, but eventually it becomes automatic. You don't have to think about it. It kind of, it's easy. So the same way goes for eating. You have to recondition yourself to being present with your food. Um, one thing that I really recommend is avoiding distractions. So in the beginning, we're so conditioned to eat when we're watching TV or on the computer or scrolling on our phone or reading. And so being really present with your food so that you can taste it, you can see, how does it taste? Do I actually like the taste of this? How does it feel? Where is my hunger level now? And being able to slow down, we eat so quickly that it is so hard to actually know when you're full because your body doesn't have the time to catch up and send you those signals of, all right, we've had enough food. So slowing down, removing distractions, tasting your food, using all of your senses. How does it taste? How does it smell? How does it feel in my mouth? Do I like the way that it feels? One thing that a lot of my clients, when they do these exercises, they notice that these foods that they thought they were so out of control around, whether that was cake or Twinkies or one of my clients, it was like Thai Express Pad Thai. They did those exercises and they realized, oh, I don't actually like the taste of this food. I just thought I did because I had put it on a pedestal of this is a food I can't have. And so you kind of get caught up in your head. I shouldn't have this food, so I'm going to overeat it. So there's definitely a few steps at the beginning is bringing hyper awareness to how to, how the food makes you feel and how it tastes in your mouth. Got it. Got it. Um, one, one thing that I'm, I'm actually, I've been wondering about throughout our conversation, wondering what your perspective is going to be. I can't, in my mind, I can't figure out whether you're going to be pro or, or con against this. Um, what, what's your take on like intermittent fasting or, you know, prolonged like fasting. It's something that like, for me, like looking at just like the, the research on it seems to have like profoundly positive effects, you know, on our biology. Um, but it, 
then also it sounds like kind of like your perspective or, or talking about kind of like eating when you're hungry, you know, it's something that like personally when I do, and I don't intermittent fast or do prolonged fastings necessarily, like I'm not trying to lose weight, um, but I do it more for like the mental clarity that mm -hmm. I really notice. And, but one of the problems is that sometimes if I don't have like a healthy meal already sort of like planned out when I'm like going to break my fast, it's like, I will literally just eat so much junk food, like, yeah. like, or just snack food all at once because, and it's like, I've, I've like lost complete control over my ability to like stop eating because there's, mm -hmm. when I break the fast, it's, there's such a strong hunger yeah. signal at that point. So it almost mm -hmm. like seems a bit, it, I don't know. It, it seems like almost like I, I, I sort of like flip flop on like, is this, is this healthy for me? Or is this just resulting in like me binging yeah. on foods that I probably shouldn't, you know, be binging on? Ah, oh, what a good question. So what you're feeling is, is primal hunger. It's this urgent, almost uncontrollable need to eat when your needs have not been met for, for very long time. And the reason why normally primal hunger, you're going to crave carbs. You're going to crave high carb, high sugar foods is because your brain is so incredibly smart that it knows that carbs is the source of fuel that's going to be digested by your body the quickest you're going to have the quickest source of energy whereas car, um, fats and protein is going to take a little bit longer so that's why you're being gravitated if you don't have anything ready it's going to be how can i go for the chips and the cookies and all of these things that are hard carb um so what you're feeling is is normal and that's primal hunger it's when you've gone too long without eating and that's why a lot of people when you wait until you're one or two on the hunger scale, which is probably where you're at, um, which is like, all you can think about is food and you're so hungry and you're kind of clouded. Like you could eat a chair at that point. You're normally going to rebound to a 10 on the hunger scale, which is you're so full. It hurts because you, you, you really want to stay within that middle where it's more balanced when it comes to intermittent fasting. Yes, there definitely is a lot of research on how beneficial it can be on your body. However, one caveat is that, it, again, it's not black and white. And so if you have a history of disordered eating, if you have a history of food guilt, and especially if you're doing it from a place of, I need to lose weight, chances are this is going to be a terrible idea for you because everything is going to be, you're going to be so hyper-focused on trying to stick to it. And, and you're going to really tune out your hunger signals. You're going to tune out your ability to listen to your body. And so I say, and because I work with women who have tried all of the things they've tried, keto, weight watchers, intermittent fasting is not a good idea for those kind of people. I see a lot more men doing better on it because men have less of that emotional connection with food. One of my brothers, um, he did it for a while and he really enjoyed it because again, there's less of that emotionally charged um, connection to food than women do. Obviously this is generalization, but usually this is what I've seen. Right. Right. And I was also, I was also reading just about like hormonally it affecting men and women differently, like just the, the actual fasting, you know, yeah. portion. 
So yeah, that, that makes sense. And I think that's what's really dangerous about the health and wellness field right now is that there aren't these nuances that are being made. And so anyone can go out there and tout the benefits of intermittent fasting and anyone who's desperate, oh my God, I want to lose weight. I want to get healthy. They're going to cling on to that. And they're going to say, okay, well, intermittent fasting is for me, but no one actually talks about the nuances of, well, what's your past history? What, what, what's your lifestyle? Does this even work for you? I was working with a nurse who started work at 7am and she would force herself to not eat until 12. And from 10 to 12, she was so unhappy, so grouchy, so irritable at work, couldn't even focus because she was so hungry. So of course, for people like that, it doesn't make sense for you to fast because you're, it's not, it's not working with your lifestyle, with your schedule, or sometimes with your family life. So there's a lot of nuances and that's why it's so hard in the, especially diet culture makes you think that there's one size fits all, which is not at all the case. Right. Right. No, I mean, that's so true. I mean, just from my own experiences, like even with certain foods that, you know, are reported to be like, you know, healthy in terms of like, I don't know, potatoes or, or beans, you know, both those foods, like they make me break out. Uh, my body, you know, has an inflammatory response to those foods, but it's like, I've, you know, it's like, I read about those foods and having good nutritional content and, you know, being good, but then it's just like, for my individual, you know, uh, you know, my biology does not resonate with those foods. And it's something that I think it's like, for me, it's so easy to just like read something and be like, okay, these foods are good. If I eat these foods, I'm going to feel good. But then experientially, sometimes it's not always the case. So it's kind of like fasting. Like for me personally, like fasting is great fasting. Mm -hmm. Like I feel mentally so sharp. I would always do it like in college if I had a, a test or something I needed to uh, study for, like I would always be in a fasted state because I just felt mentally just clicking on all cylinders. But then like, as you're saying, someone else, you know, the, the individual you just mentioned, like not being able to focus at work, like it works for me, doesn't work yeah. for that person. Yeah. When you talk about that, like I'm someone, I'm almost a toddler. I need to eat every two hours. Like I eat so much. And so if I were to even try to go one day without eating for longer than four hours, I would get nothing done because I would just, I would be so hungry. I would not be able to concentrate. And so it's just this crazy idea that at some point we started believing that all humans have the same metabolism, have the same digestive system, just the same way that everyone has different, different fingertips we're of fingerprints, we're going to have different metabolisms. And the the things that work for you is not necessarily going to work for someone else. I wouldn't, that's why some people are celiac or lactose intolerant and everyone has a different biology. And it is so dangerous to think that everyone can eat the, uh, the same way and look the same way and behave the same way and feel the same way. That's just not the case. Completely agree. Well said. Well, Sabrina, we're, we're coming up onto the end of the show today. You know, I've really enjoyed this conversation and for, for listeners who want to find out more about just your work or connect with you, start working with you. Um, where would you direct them to? Uh, yeah. So if they wanted to book a call with me, just an initial discovery call to talk a little bit more about 
where they've been, what they've been struggling with. And, and if there's someone who is interested in healing the relationship with food so that they're not always on these yo-yo diets and feeling guilty and losing control, um, they can book a call with me, a 30 minute consultation call at sabrinamania.com forward slash call. Perfect. Perfect. And yeah. we'll include links to that uh, in the in the show notes. And for the listeners who enjoy the show, I would recommend that you guys subscribe to our YouTube channel. It's NeuroFlex, N-U-R-O-F-L-E-X. You can see full podcast episodes along with podcast clips on that channel. And go ahead on and subscribe to uh, whatever audio streaming platform that you listen to the podcast on, whether that be Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or any of the other major ones. We are on basically them all. So uh, Sabrina, again, I wanted to thank you so much for, for coming on the show today and sharing all of your, your knowledge and expertise. Thank you for having me. Absolutely.